Hello, I'm Marcus Brigstock and welcome to Breaking Good, the podcast rethinking separation and divorce, brought to you by Forsters. Now, last week we talked about family law as a whole and covered a gamut of unexpected things along the way, from LA law to Geordie mums wearing fur coats. But today we're going to look at no-fault divorce, a new way of divorcing that will be implemented next year. We'll be asking what it is and how it will change things. And as always, I'm joined by Joe Edwards. Hello, Joe. Hi there, Marcus. Have you had a good week? I've had a really good week and I know you're going to be very disappointed in me but among other things I have put up my Christmas tree oh, and I did so in November. Joe, you did it in November. I did do it in November. I thought this oh. year there are no rules Marcus so I was delighted when it went up. I am going to walk past your house not in a creepy way but in the last week before Christmas and look in at your dead Christmas tree. <laughs> it's not a planted one is it? It is. It's a hundred percent real. I shall be spritzing it every You'll day. <laughs> I've fed it lemonade, so I'm going to keep it alive the for the secret, next six weeks. It? it really is. Yeah. Very good. Well, lovely to see you again. And this week we're joined by Jamie Gore. Hello, Jamie. How are you? Hello, Marcus. Really well. Thank I'd you. ask how your week's been, but we didn't meet last week. So, how's your life been? My life has been very similar, probably to most people's lives at the yeah. moment. Um, quite local based. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of home time. Yeah. Looking forward to getting out and about. Um, as I heard you talk last week, it's quite a novelty to be in the West End. It's exhilarating, isn't it? Um, so yeah, hoping to capitalise on that soon. Yeah, yeah. And you've got a very young child, I think, as well. So. I do. I have a two-year-old. So in a way, actually, lockdown hasn't been so dissimilar from no, sure. having a two-year-old at any time. The usual things um, come across when you have a two-year-old in terms of just pulling things down. Yeah, of things course. Like eating things they shouldn't. So that hasn't changed. Pretty COVID. much the same as sharing a house with a comedian. It's it's the same sort of rules. But here we are, a room full of adults just for an hour. Now, look, before we delve into no-fault divorce, it I think it would be useful to talk about how things stand at the moment. So if you've decided to get divorced or you're considering it, what does that actually involve? I mean, what what at the moment do you have to do? So at the moment in England and Wales, um, as Jamie and I have both experienced for a number of years, it's a fairly convoluted process. It's a complicated process. So the first bit for listeners to be aware of, you have to have been married for at least a year before you can actually you petition. You can't divorce in under a year. You can't divorce in under a year. It used to be under three years and then in the early 1980s that was reduced to one year. So you have to have been married for at least a year. Um, the legal test is that the marriage has to have broken down irretrievably and you have to be able to prove that by reference to one of five facts. Very briefly, two of those are fault-based, either adultery or unreasonable behaviour. Pause there, I use that as shorthand. I know lots of lawyers complain at that phrase, but unreasonable behaviour is shorthand. And then the non-fault-based grounds which exist at the moment are two years separation if both of the parties agree, five years of separation or desertion. Um, as the law stands, a couple can't file jointly. It has to be one of them who files for divorce. Um, typically, we try to work towards an undefended process. The divorces which really drag on are those where one person decides to defend. So it, it is really quite a complicated process. Defend the terms on which the divorce is applied for. In other words, unreasonable behaviour and, and the person accused of that says, my behaviour was perfectly reasonable at all times. 
So there are various ways in which people may decide to defend. First of all, one person may say, actually, there isn't uh, the power for the English court to determine our divorce for various reasons. That's quite quite technical. One has to look at the grounds for whether that whether one can get divorced in England. Mm. Um, secondly, somebody could say, I completely dispute that this marriage has broken down at all, and I'm going to defend it on that basis. That is jolly difficult, although that's, occasionally I mean, it does That's happen. also heartbreaking, isn't it? Mm. You know, the idea that one person person in a marriage is saying this is done and dusted but there's someone else saying no I mean legally I'll fight this we're at mm. this stage and still someone saying no 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 it's not over and I think that's something Jamie and I would like to talk about in a bit more detail yeah. and that's really been one of the drivers behind the change in the law which is coming in because there was famously a case in the media two years ago about Mr and Mrs Owens where Mr Owens said I don't accept that this marriage is broken down and he successfully defended the behaviour particulars that his wife put in. Yeah. The net effect being that she has had to wait for five years of separation to be up to enable her to have her divorce, which has finally happened this year. So, I mean, I remember at the time of that case speaking to journalists in Australia and Canada and they thought it was completely ridiculous that in this day and age in England and Wales, mm. you could have that system where somebody could defend in that way. So I think, Jamie, it's fair to say that's been a big driver for change, hasn't it? I think it really has. Um, and I think it, it brought to light just how archaic it is that someone, yes, as Joe says, in the 21st century, an autonomous adult is kept mm. in a marriage. Um, and I think... It's a strange one because obviously it had a lot of media attention, but they are really rare um, in our experience. You know, we always advise clients, look, let's try and work it out. Frankly, at the end of the day, Mr. Owens is now divorced. You know, mm -hmm. the five years have elapsed, so it will happen. But clearly, why have to wait that long? And which was why the law clearly was right for change now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I did have one of those cases a few years ago. I had a Mr. Owens, um, and he was a guy probably a similar age in his late seventies who felt very strongly that his it was outrageous that his wife had petitioned him for divorce, and against my advice, he started to defend this, saying, "No, the marriage hasn't broken down." And eventually, it's very sad obviously but I persuaded him there really is no point going through because it takes two people to be in a marriage and realistically if one person is unhappy and they want to be out of the marriage they're going to get their divorce sometimes and dare I say there was an element of that in my case it's about control um, sometimes yes. you hear people saying but you know we've taken these marriage vows we ought to stand by them mm. but I always go back to given how long people live these days um, given that you do have to both be happy in the marriage it's it's futile invariably if mm. you are defending these cases so sometimes there's a bit of vengeance happening there as well someone like literally refusing to release the other person in the marriage it's grisly isn't it yeah. i mean of course it's grisly you know and, and i think i think that's the you know we'll come on to this but i think that's the point that people were allowed to do that and to actually have that conflict it almost mm. encourages conflict because one person if you're not separated for two years or more has to blame the other at the moment yeah um, in one way or another and so that almost encourages people to get into an argument and you can't do it jointly um, as Joe says at the moment mm. um, and so clearly you know a lot of people feel strongly that either they don't want to be the one to pull the trigger or both of them feel very strongly mm. they should be the one to instigate that divorce mm. Mm. I'm sure most of the people who might be listening to this but perhaps not all uh, would already know the answer to this but what would be examples of unreasonable behavior 
Well, there could be all sorts of <laughs> creative examples and um, quite colourful examples. Um, you know, it can be anything from the fact someone didn't show you emotional support. Um, it could be as far as, you know, actually abusive behaviour. Mm -hmm. um, people didn't communicate. They had, argue, you know, they were very argumentative. We've all read about um, some more dramatic examples um, or colourful examples such as I read one which was a wife who said my husband may be dressed up as a Klingon from the TV series Star Trek and speak mm. Klingon to him that sounds fairly unreasonable to me <laughs> if you say so <laughs> but I think it does just go although we, we do joke about it it goes to show how ridiculous the law is at the moment I mean some of the other sort of examples that I was reading about I think there was one where a spouse cited that his wife had repeatedly and maliciously served me my least favourite meal tuna casserole somebody else who'd complained about the fact that uh, her husband was using bread to eat his peas rather than a fork um, and then a wife who sought to divorce her husband because he just wasn't that into Frozen. Now, I mean, I have to say most of the, the parents I know with young children um, yeah. really are quite the opposite, probably don't want to see Frozen anymore. But these are the sort of examples which are being brought into the fray at the moment, which show that the system that we're working within is forcing couples to come up with these examples. It's and rather inane, isn't ones. it, I suppose? It, it, it totally is. Um, I mean, I would say... You know, you can make a fish stew with tuna in, but as a casserole ingredient, I it's mean, just it, wrong. Well, if it's from a can, it's already cooked. So I'm mm. wondering how. I think it's just going to flake apart there. If it's fresh, you can cut it. If you seared it very quickly, I can see how it would hold its shape. But fundamentally, I mean, I, I have to say, I think I would leave on the basis <laughs> of a tuna casserole, not not on its own, but if I'd also mm. been made to be a Klingon. So the, the cumulative effect of that behaviour, yeah. you think, would be enough to, to leave that marriage. quite unreasonable. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Breaking good. Rethinking separation and divorce. Brought to you by Forsters. Adultery, we know what that is, but there must be cases where somebody claims adultery and the person accused of it says, no, I didn't. And then you have to go around the houses, or not around the houses, you have to prove it, presumably, in order to make the divorce happen, which that, must be quite difficult. That used to be how it would work in the past, that people would hire private investigators to, to go and hang mm. outside people's houses to, to try to get the sort of evidence that might be required to prove adultery. Um, I'm bound to say that's not how it tends to work these days. Again, trying to keep the temperature down, there will be a phone call between solicitors, an exchange of letters or a conversation on the ground between the couple to mm. see whether one of them does admit to the adultery if they won't admit to the adultery then one goes down the the behavior route mm -hmm. i know i mean for example when um aunt mcpartland was going through his divorce so much was written in the media about the fact that um that divorce was based on his adultery um and as i understand it about that case that came after the actual separation and so there was a lot of confusion about that that one could still rely on that but mm. again it just goes to show this is all a bit of a means to an end um at the moment yeah, yeah. and in fact adultery for as joe says it's for sometimes it's if it's a fact really adultery in a way it's actually less contentious often than behavior strangely enough because yeah. often as joe says it can happen after in fact they've separated mm. um or they've got a new partner one mm. of them and mm. so it's not such a bone of contention but it is also the case that some people accused of adultery whether they admit it or not would rather unreasonable behavior were listed because of the vagary of it right 
I think it depends on the circumstances and my experience, and I'm interested, Jamie, whether you agree, is that invariably once we share the detail of behaviour particulars and people see the sort of things that need to go in, quite often they will row back and they will say, actually, maybe it is, um, it's easier to go down the adultery route. It feels more neutral yeah. to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that really challenging, particularly if I'm mediating, for example. We talked about my mediation practice last week and very often there's huge conflict between the couple when they first come to see me. I can think of a particular couple a few years ago and it took me two sessions to work out. It was because of the behaviour particulars that she had put in her petition. Mm. And in fact, that mediation process broke down because he just couldn't get over the sort of things that that she'd said about him. And so in mediation, I often say, um, well, why don't you go away, draft a behaviour petition against yourself? to one of the spouses and then ask the other one to look through that and see if those are the sort of grounds that they would rely on because that that tends to make it um, a little bit softer but hopefully it's evident why for a lot of people if they can sit out the two years of separation as the law stands at the moment Mm. they would far sooner do that and keep things as neutral as possible Um, but they they can't always wait. Did you mention irreconcilable differences as one of them? That exists though right? No, and I think that is that's a classic misconception. I'm driven, I think, from the media clients. I don't know how many times I've seen a client where they've said to me, oh, well, can't we just petition on irreconcilable differences? It's not a ground for divorce. Um, and they say, and this is one of the biggest issues, people say, actually, there isn't any real conflict. We've just drifted apart. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not that we think either one of us is wrong. But unfortunately, that's not sufficient as the law stands in order to achieve the divorce. A change in the law will come next year. When does it when does it start? At the moment, it's anticipated the law will change with effect from autumn 2021. So Mm -hmm. that's yet to be finally confirmed. There's a lot of work ongoing at the moment on the new rules, also on the online system, which will need to be changed to reflect the law once it's changed. But the hope and dare I say the expectation and what I'm saying to clients at the moment is in about a year's time, we'll see this change come in. And put it as simply as possible to begin with, and then we'll go into the detail. What will a no-fault divorce application look like? So in a nutshell, all of the, the five facts that one can rely on at the moment get scrapped completely in favour of um, there being a requirement that one or both spouses, so an important change, this can be joint, provide neutral notification of the marriage having broken down irretrievably. They then have to sit out a six-month period before they will then be entitled to to pursue um, their divorce, to have their divorce finalised. The possibility of contesting the divorce falls away completely so the only possible contesting will be for jurisdiction grounds if it's being asserted by one of them um, we don't think actually the English court has power to determine mm. this divorce but you can't say actually I disagree that the marriage is broken down or I disagree that it's my fault that the marriage is broken down all of that will fall away um, there'll be a minimum overall time frame of six months brought in which at the moment we don't have a minimum time frame for divorce and so that there will be that framework in place when no fault divorce was being looked at in 1996 people became very exercised about there being a period for reflection and consideration mm. and one of the reasons the legislation fell by the wayside as I understand it at that time is that not enough couples were reconciling during that period whereas in truth that's not the intention of the period at all so it's just so there is this 
this this framework, this period of time mm. between notification and being in, entitled to that final decree of divorce. So, I mean, why is it important that this change happens? Because this is quite this is quite the crusade for you, Joe. You've talked about this for a while. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that Resolution has campaigned for for over 40 years, and it's something right. we've been very, very keen that the law should change. And me personally, the past 11, 12 years, I've very been very involved in the campaign. Um, I don't know where to start. There are so many reasons. Hopefully some of them we've illustrated already through our discussion as to why the law needs to change. So to try to put it as briefly as possible into context, at the moment, around 107,000 couples got divorced in 2019 in England and Wales, about 55, 60 percent of those had a fault-based divorce. Our experience, resolution members' experience, that creates conflict from the get-go. We've talked about some of the difficult cases we've had where the mere act of going through the state of the law, of trying to draft behaviour particulars, mm. of sharing them with the other spouse, has created huge acrimony and I've had that with lots of my clients. We've talked about the extreme case of Mr and Mrs Owens where you had the unedifying spectacle of a lady who couldn't get divorced. The court basically decided despite the 27 behaviour particulars she put forward, she'd not proven to the court's satisfaction that her husband had behaved so badly that she'd proven that the marriage had broken down. So she was forced to stay trapped in this unhappy marriage, separated mm. for five years until five years separation were actually um, up. The requirement to assign blame also undermines attempts to resolve matters in mediation. It's been a big push of the government that actually more and more couples should be going to mediation. I've talked about my experience of mediation where there has been disagreement around the behaviour particulars. And then finally, and again a theme we picked up on last week, because at the moment we see ever-growing numbers of people who are representing themselves and they, they can't afford to go and take legal advice or have full-on representation, it's really complicated for them. I mean, how do they know how to draft a behaviour petition mm. and not to put everything but the kitchen sink in it? And how does somebody who's the respondent to that, the person defending it, think and, and know that they don't have to defend it? So it's terribly difficult in the current environment, the complexity of the law... And given that the law has changed um, in Australia, in Scotland, in so many other countries many, many years ago to move to more of a no-fault-based system, really we were the outlier in England mm -hmm. and Wales. We remain the outlier at the moment, but mm. it's, it's high time that the law was changed. And I think also, we've touched upon it, but the fault of the divorce or the reason for whoever, you know, whoever's fault it is that there is a divorce um, or the breakdown has no bearing on the outcome in terms of the finances and children. So why make people go through this rigmarole, this yeah. conflictual process, when in fact it has no effect apart from causing difficulties in helping families reach constructive solutions? And I think from my perspective, especially for co-parents, Divorce often is the beginning of a lifelong journey. You know, the marriage is over, but they have to continue working together as parents. So anything which can take the sting out and take out that injection of conflict at the outset has to be welcomed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm very mindful about how I discuss this. But in my own case, you know, uh, uh, my marriage ended very largely because of my behaviour. I, I had an affair and that was that. And, you know, it was it was the end. But I was... I was particularly worried. My children were too young at that time to understand what had happened and for us to have direct conversations with them about that. I've since spoken to them directly and taken responsibility for the, you know, all the parts that I got wrong. But 
to the extent that I'm in the public eye, I knew perfectly well a court dealing with with my divorce, what would be written down, what the newspapers mm. would be able to get hold of, and all the rest of it. And it does it it the law as it stands, uh, setting aside how I feel about my own behaviour, doesn't help. You know the the anonymity of somebody like me in terms of the end of a marriage is you know perhaps for me to fight for and no one else particularly to care about but it doesn't help if you're as you explained trying to raise children and you carry on with the rest of your life it's uh, it's difficult i think it doesn't help because the media get really excited about Thrilled. seeing that yes. the grounds for, for divorce and write about that extensively when in truth we know that in most cases it, it's the fault of both people for a marriage breaking mm. breaking down it can be the fault of, of both spouses and sometimes it's just one of those things and invariably people come and they say we've just drifted apart we've given it lots of thought we always encourage people to give it so much thought to go for plenty of counseling but they do tend to have done that by the time they come to see us it, it really is the last stage in the process mm. so i think it's really unfortunate that that the media do latch onto what particular ground has been relied upon. Yes, this is disappointing for them, isn't it? No fault divorce is very disappointing for <laughs> it, the press. It will become incredibly boring. Nothing to write about in terms of who, whose fault I'm it, sure it was that a relationship something. ended. <laughs> but uh, sure, they so, will. But this is this is controversial, and there are people who say, "Look, you're making when you change this law." I don't mean you, Jamie. I don't mean you, Joe. But when this law is changed. Uh, you're making divorce easier and when divorce is easy people do it in the moment because they can't see a way of fighting for a marriage and that way more families are broken apart and society mm. is damaged as a result. Uh, do they have a point? I think it's something which, as Joe mentioned, people don't take lightly. I've never had a client who's come to me and said, oh, actually, I fancy a divorce, um, well, how do I do it? They really think long and hard. They've often been having problems for a while. They, they go through marriage counselling. So it is not a decision that they take lightly. And another thing is that, as we've discussed today, a lot of people are not aware of the current law. So it's not as if the current law either puts people off or instigates people to get divorced. They don't know. And when, when someone wants to get a divorce, they will, regardless of the barriers. And I think we have to be realistic about that. Mm. Yeah, I, I entirely agree, and I think there's a lot. There have been a lot of misconceptions around no-fault divorce, and so one of the arguments I've heard very often is it's going to lead to a huge increase in the divorce rate, and you know it's going to be Armageddon. But that's not the experience of other countries where no-fault divorce has come in. So in Scotland, when they changed the law, for example, there was um, a small spike the year after. That was just a case of people waiting for the new law to come yeah. in, and then it tailed off. Yes, lots of people say. Divorce should be hard to disincentivise people, but is that really the place of the state? And as Jamie says, most couples we see have no idea what the law is. It's not something they familiarise themselves mm. with and know about fault-based divorce until they come in to see us. So they're not making decisions based on how easy or not the divorce process is. They're, they're making decisions based on um, their, their marriage. Perhaps, perhaps we should flip the law the other way so that people have to state the reasons why they want to get married in the first place. 
That, that is actually, be. well, you, you say that as a jest, but actually that is something which I've thought a lot about in that perhaps it's not that divorce is too easy, but marriage is too easy, um, that people don't, yeah. you know, people don't go through, I guess it's quite old fashioned, but if you're getting married, say, with under the church auspices, you go through marriage counselling um, yes. prior to the marriage. And something which is going to be the subject of another podcast is about nuptial agreements. And in fact, mm. although people see it as quite unromantic, the very process of a nuptial agreement often encourages couples to have really difficult conversations, which in fact would benefit perhaps a lot of couples prior to marriage, like about money. Do they want to have children? Is one of them going to stop work? Um, yeah. So I think there is something in that. It, it is. I mean, it's sort of for for another day uh, uh, talking about about prenuptial agreements, but it it is still a very, very difficult thing to do to to, to visit that when you're in the throes of you know romance and love and getting married and you're all full of hope and all the rest of it you know the idea of discussing so what do we do if this doesn't play out it is but i'm in the throes of finalizing negotiations around a prenup at the moment and the wedding is now fairly close but as jamie rightly says actually the more positive way of looking at it is couples are coming together they're learning about each other's finances sometimes they've got that knowledge sometimes they don't mm. they're having conversations about where they're going to make their home whether or not they're going to have children if it's a younger couple where those children might be educated and if the worst happened and they did get divorced it's an insurance policy against having mm. you know years of protracted expensive litigation and just keeping everything child focused as neutral as possible so it, I, I completely agree with the wider point that yes there does need to be perhaps more careful thought by some couples entering into marriage about whether this is the right decision for them. And is, it, is this change in the law going to help when it comes to there being children in, in a marriage that's breaking down? I think undoubtedly it's going to help because one of the most oft quoted facts around fault-based divorce at the moment is the huge detrimental impact that conflict has on children. Mm. And, you know, we've seen this time and time again from the anecdotes that we hear from our clients where there is conflict in divorce. And so this isn't about making divorce easy, making divorce quick. It's about making divorce a kind process. And if that's what we achieve and if children benefit as a result of that, I think that's that's got to be a positive thing because at the moment there are over 200,000 children each year who see their parents getting divorced in mm. England and Wales. And I, I get very anxious about the impact on them of the conflict that they experience. If when a marriage ends, one party wants still to attribute fault, will they still be able to? No, no, they won't. Oh, I see. Okay, so it, it, it's a massive change in the law. You 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 can't state unreasonable behaviour and you can't state adultery. No, that, that, that was something that was being looked at about five years ago. There was a bill in Parliament, Richard Bacon MP put a bill in which he just added a, a sixth non-fault-based ground but would have kept all of the existing grounds as well. And I know a lot of commentators have said to me when they've been asking me about this point, well, surely... If you've got a spouse, be it your wife or your husband, who's behaved abominably, why shouldn't you have the right to say that in a petition? And what I always say is, look, at the end of the day, the place for that is, is couples counselling or is individual therapy to go and work through those feelings. 
a divorce petition is not a place for recrimination and rage. It sets proceedings off on completely the wrong foot, makes those discussions around money and children Mm. so much more difficult. So I think it's absolutely right that the government have gone further, have totally taken away the possibility of apportioning blame and just having a purely no-fault-based system. And what happens if one half doesn't agree to a no-fault divorce? What happens then? One person can apply, right? And that's enough. One, one, one person can apply or both can apply. Yeah. If only one person applies, as I've said, it will only be in fairly limited circumstances that the other can defend if they say, well, actually, England doesn't have the power to deal with this. But otherwise, um, the, the divorce will, will happen. Mm. Um, so it's going to be what's called a triple lock system. So you have to proactively put in your notification that you think the marriage is broken down irretrievably. You'll then be entitled after 20 weeks to apply for what at the moment is called decree nice size, going to be rephrased a, a conditional order. Mm. And then you will also have to physically put in your application for Again, at the moment, it's called decree absolute. Um, It will be the final order. So there are those bars along the way. Once you start, you're not invariably on the process to divorce. But if you do want to divorce and you make those applications, then then, then the marriage will then be dissolved. And are the rules the same in same-sex marriages and and also civil partnerships? So they will be the same in terms of no-fault divorce um, and the dissolution of civil partnerships. Currently, um, they're pretty similar. The um, quirk, in a way, it sort of shows you how archaic our current law is. Adultery has a specific legal definition, which is sexual intercourse with someone of the opposite sex. So that um, it doesn't apply for civil partnerships and invariably it wouldn't apply, of course, in same-sex marriages. Um, And in a way, this, as I say, it's slightly archaic, that very definition. It's very archaic. Wow, that's... (laughs) Goodness me. Breaking Good. Rethinking separation and divorce. Brought to you by Forsters. A lot of people's understanding of divorce, if they haven't been through one, will be listening to their friends. That's one thing. Uh, But probably seeing films like Kramer versus Kramer or Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm. Um, Have you seen them, by the way? Yes. I mean, we talked about Kramer versus Kramer last week, didn't we, in our conversation. Mrs. Doubtfire, I have to say, is probably my favourite ever film about uh, separation and divorce. And I think for me... It just there are so many things that ring true um, about uh, the experiences of Mrs. Doubtfire and our experiences, family lawyers, day to day. And I think it gives a really compelling depiction of how some marriages do break down. You know, two busy working parents, yep. clearly very different parenting styles between them. I have to say, in Sally Field's shoes, I would have killed Robin Williams to come home to that children's party to find farmyard animals everywhere, jump what around, blaring out what of the sound party. system. Um, <laughs> that was it, a llama that ate the cake that she brought home. There was a farmyard animal that ate the cake. So I probably shouldn't tell you about the night uh, when my wife took the children out trick-or-treating and came back to find me dressed as Dracula with um, six members of the fire service in our house because I'd set up a smoke machine <laughs> as a spooky surprise for everybody and didn't know how to switch it off or the alarm. I was very much <laughs> the Robin Williams character so in that situation. I was about to say you'd sympathise with Robin Williams, whereas I'm sympathising a it's little bit with It's not a Sally question Fields of sympathy, here. Joe. It's a question of who's fun and who's awful and Robin's <laughs> fun. Um, yeah, no, of course. It is. It's heartbreaking and it, it, it goes very... 
it goes very deep the film you know in terms of the desperation of a man in that situation who I agree with you he has got an awful lot wrong and I think he would be very difficult to live with but access to to children I know I mean I have to say I've never had a client or a father client who's dressed up as the nanny um, to be able yes, to spend sure. time with the children not quite sure how our judges would react to that but I, it's just quite heartbreaking elements of the film I always think the Pierce Brosnan character rather smug um, but yeah. it's something again we see a lot the emotions associated in divorces where two parents separate and then one of them has a new partner in their life mm. and the other parent feels that they're being excluded. I mean, the emotions that go with that are really quite profound and do create huge difficulties in certain cases. And then that heartbreaking scene at the end where Robin Williams is in court having been found out and mm. he says, but it's like air for me. If I can't see my children every day, it's like telling me I can't breathe in air. Yeah. And I always, it, it does break my heart when I see the outcome. Although fortunately, Sally Field then relented, of course, and yes. let him spend time yeah. with the children yeah, yeah. so although I, I joke slightly that there are elements of that film and indeed other films that we see that we definitely see in our day-to-day -day practice yeah um, Jamie and I were also talking about and I'm ashamed Sam a big friends fan I, I could probably don't be ashamed of that I, I mean I probably think it's quote every word these days, of every but, script yeah. yeah I think it's even the scene I think is a bit non-pc actually yeah, go on. <laughs> was, do you know the scene the, uh, Marcus the, where um Rachel and Ross are filing for an annulment yes and uh, Ross hears for the first time the grounds of the annulment which he's you know mentally unstable he's an intravenous drug user um, and, and I love it. I love it where Rachel says yes, crack and cocaine, and she says, um, <laughs> oh, uh, you know, what, that's not an intravenous drug. Like, well, you would know, Ross. You would know. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I mean, it it was amusing. It's not the way that we would see things done here, in the sense that it, somebody would never get to court and only then discover what were the allegations being made sure. against them. And of course, we won't have it at all in a year's time. So that's even better. Yeah, and we will talk more next week actually about uh, children in separation but this change in the law is very important where this is concerned because as you said it it has it contains within it the capacity to take some of the heat out mm -hmm. of the end of a marriage which under any circumstances I certainly I think of as being a very sad thing and where there are children where there are children involved even more so and it is important whatever anybody thinks about it that heat is taken out and light is applied for the best possible outcome, I think, right? I think so, and also, you know, we often advise clients, you know, when they are, when they have children, to make sure they don't speak to the children, as, as you discussed in your own case, you know, about the reasons, you know, for the breakdown. But especially when you've older children, some children are quite inquisitive, actually, and yeah. they, they want mm. to know, and they and they hear about it in the media. And if that actually isn't out there, I think that will be a huge positive. Um, and not to just dwell on that, and actually. We encourage clients, you know, to actually think, you know, be more future facing. Mm. So you obviously it's, can you can really get into a quagmire of talking about the past. And, and in fact, actually, where you, know, you say to clients, it's quite American term, but we use it in a, a term of practice here called collaborative practice, which is another form of dispute resolution, which um, more people are adopting here. Say, so, well, where do you where do you see yourself in five years time, 10 years time? Mm. Do you could you imagine yourself both at your child's wedding at their graduation? And obviously these, these can be quite upsetting and emotive yeah. topics, but actually quite powerful ones. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, so far as children are concerned, no-fault divorce is an excellent first step and it is going to make a significant difference. 
are there other things we need to be focusing on? Absolutely there are. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a report that came out only a couple of weeks ago, uh, What About Me?, which is all about um, the children's um, experience of separation and divorce, how too many cases at the moment about children are going to court. And so there's a lot of work that needs to be done within the wider justice system about how we keep more of these cases away from court, whether there are no welfare concerns, mm. how we encourage mediation, how we hear the voice of the children in, in processes, inappropriate cases. So. As I say, I think there is a lot of work to be done, but we really do need to focus in every case on any children and how the heat can be taken Mm. out of it, as you say, so that they're not exposed to that conflict. Uh, Hopefully we've covered fairly well the objections to this, you know, people making the accusation that this will lead to an upswing in divorce, make divorce Mm. too easy, lead to quickie divorces. Hopefully we've been fair where that's concerned. Are there any downsides to this? change in the law is there there any problems with it as you see it i'm probably the wrong person to ask that's why i'm asking you joe come on because i have been banging this drum for so long that trying to be as objective as possible i really can't see any downsides to Mm -hmm. this change one of the things that might appeal to listeners is it's actually going to take lawyers out of the process more because it really is going to become so much more straightforward which dovetails with the online system that we now have, and about 50% of divorces are now done online, that people can actually do this themselves. Now, as we've said, I don't think this means people are going to come back from the pub one night and think, let's get this process started now. Mm -hmm. People are a lot more thoughtful about it. But genuinely, this is something which, frankly, we should have had 20, 30 years Mm. ago. We've waited far too long. There are no downsides to it. Some people might say that it's bad for lawyers. For that very I was going to say, that was going to be my next question, actually. Yeah, but, it yeah. must be. I mean, just in terms of, you know, you'll, I'm sure you'll make a living. I'm sure there'll be plenty of, uh, of uh, uh, prenups and, sadly, ends of marriages that need to be dealt with. But it will be quicker. I think the thing is, is that now already a fraction of our work is the actual divorce. I, mean, I see. In the sense that our focus is really dealing with the financial issues and the mm-hmm. children issues. And the kind of work we do and the kind of approach we like to take at Forsters is as constructive as possible. And so we don't enjoy, as you say, they're quite, some of them, are, it sounds like quite banal and quite almost petty and you know, getting involved in that nitty gritty about, you know, who didn't do the dishes and who didn't yeah. take the trash out. And I didn't like her yeah, tuna bake. It's not really what gets us out of bed in the morning. So yeah. we will. It's not why we stud- studied for law either. Not why we studied our law <laughs> no, degrees. Sure. Um, but no, Jamie's absolutely right. It's not the part of the job at the moment that particularly thrills us. We want to help clients sort out the children issues, sort out yeah. the money issues. Um, I find it really sad. I, mean, I, I had a, a lady approach me a few months ago and she'd read so much in the media about fault-based divorce that she thought you know, she really had to go to town. She wrote me a huge essay. And in that case, her husband had had a child out of wedlock. And I said to her, that alone is enough. But yeah, she, sure. she, she thought she had to go further than that. You know, she really? thought that that's the way the law was. But so also, also, their clients are often very disappointed that the person isn't going to be punished for it. Mm. So there's almost a disconnect between this part of the process as it currently stands, citing blame, and the results. And people say, well, so I've said all that about him and uh, that petition's gone through, so surely I will get more money. And you say, well, mm. actually, no. And that's quite confusing as well, mm. I think, for people. It is. Well, hopefully 
we've covered everything. That's all we've got time for today. I've been Marcus Brigstock. Huge thank you to Joe Edwards and Jamie Gore and, of course, our producer, Sophie Black. As we've just said, next time we will be discussing children and separation. So if you have any questions or thoughts, do email us at family at forsters.co.uk. That's family at forsters.co.uk. Or tweet us at Forsters Family, and we will try to answer them. Until then, thank you very much for listening. <laughs>